Welcome to another free first hour episode of the Higher Side Chats. I know we want to get into the action, but I have to ask that you help me armor us up a bit for the bumpy road ahead. Because I bring you the first hour of this show without unrelated ad nonsense as a proof of concept. And if you value it, then come over to THC Plus for the $8 a month and hear the full two-hour interviews as they were designed to be and as you would enjoy them most. Go to thehiresidechats.com or just click the link in the show notes to get started and within a minute you'll be plugging in your new Plus Show RSS feed into a hopefully decentralized podcasting 2.0 supported app. Feed the things you want to grow and starve the things that gotta go and we will reach the promised land. Think about that and enjoy the show. In the 1930s, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt addressed the nation through a series of radio broadcasts known as the Fireside Chats. His aim was to reassure the common man that our society would recover from its troubled times. Well, we're far from 1930, and I deal with a different kind of fire. For a new era of worldly frustration, we offer a fresh conversation. I'm Greg Carlwood, and these are the Higher Side Chats. Well, this is the way, Higher Side Chatters. From sunny San Diego, I'm Greg Carlwood, and if the events of 2020 showed us anything, it's just how quickly things can change and just how vulnerable and unsustainable our system really is. Toilet paper panics, supply chain disruptions, mask and temperature check compliance just to get groceries, and at least for me, the closure of our best resource, the local farmer's market. We should be thankful it wasn't worse, but let it be a wake-up call that we won't catch ourselves being so system-dependent in the future, because the way the big machine has trained us to live is for its benefit, not ours. It pollutes the air, water, and land, and exchanges nutrient-dense organic foods for glyphosate-soaked monocrops and chemical-based lab creations stored in plastic and aluminum. It's time that many of us stop suckling at the teat of the very industrialized culture we like to criticize, take the personal responsibility up a notch, and graduate from consumer to producer. With a little foresight and direct action, we can confidently see that Walmart, Kraft, and Nestle need us a lot more than we need them. We have seen the problems for years, but many of us have stopped just short of stepping up when it comes to creating the solutions. Which is why Jim Gale of Food Forest Abundance does what he does and is spending some time with us today. He's an expert in permaculture design, food forests, and edible landscapes who has been helping people take back the food production power in their lives for years. His company will draw out the blueprints for how to use your space for maximum efficiency, teach you what you need to know through his online course, or actually come do the installation work required to get you up and running. It's a powerful contribution to helping us build the new, better world as the old one falls down around us, and I'm psyched to talk to him today. The passionate permaculture preacher, food forest teacher, and a thorn in the side of the big machine, the nature boy himself, Jim Gale. Welcome to the higher side. Well, thank you, Greg, for the introduction, and it's a pleasure to be with you. Let's inspire some people to grow food. Amen, man. Yes, I am very grateful to have you here. I learned about your work from your segment with Del Bigtree on the High Wire recently and was really impressed with your passion and knowledge when it comes to using whatever space we have to take back a little control. And not just raised beds with a few tomato plants, you really use a deep understanding of nature to get the most out of a space and install food-producing plants that have a symbiotic relationship with each other, and it's a beautiful thing. To get us going here, tell us a bit about your story and that process of transitioning away from just worrying and obsessing over the problems in society to finding a way to offer people solutions, because I think that's what a lot of us are wanting to do right now, even if we're feeling a little stuck in getting there. Darn right we are. A lot of people in the world are so focused on the problem that they're miserable. And that is the psyop. It's to keep humanity in fear because fear is controllable and faith is uncontrollable. Courage is uncontrollable. So how do we get there? Well, we first have to take a look at the problem. The problem is as Henry Kissinger said back in the 70s, he said, if you want to control nations, control oil. If you want to control people, control food. So this strategy, which is very clearly documented 
in a document called Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars, has taken control of the pillars of industry of the world. Of course, starting with the Federal Reserve, which is obviously not federal. We can't even audit our own money supply. It's a completely cabal and criminal run organization. And all the way through to, of course, the medical systems and the school systems, down to the Bellamy salute, which is I pledge allegiance. And then they control what we pledge allegiance to through the control over the, of course, the fake news and all of the social media platforms. Not all. Thank gosh, you're on the air and many more. So how do we take control back? Everything starts with using our resources wisely. The American lawn, there's 40 million acres of American lawn in the United States. And when we use that one resource wisely, we completely wipe out their pillars of control. And I'll get a little bit into how we do that here in a bit. But you asked me basically how I got to this. So I uh, had a mortgage company, did about $1.3 billion in revenue. And yeah, it was an incredible ride. It was good timing. In fact, that show, The Big Short. Have you seen that one? Yeah, yeah, that movie. Yeah, the the, the movie. I mean, I watched that as one of my favorite shows of all time because they nailed it. In every level of that, the mortgage industry was built on fraud and these same exact people controlling the currency of the people. So I sold that company, lived on the ocean for a year, and then I was looking for something to do. I had always been in this idea after I I first learned about the greatest speakers of all time, Napoleon Hill and Dennis Waitley and Wayne Dyer and all of these people that were teaching the outside of the box education that you don't find in the schools. When I learned that, I started writing goals and I started visualizing my future in a new way. And that was the foundation or the catalyst for everything to come from that. And if I could inspire everybody listening to do one thing, it's to focus your energy forward, to ask new questions about what's possible for you in life, and then start writing down the reasons why and how. And then once you start taking steps in that direction, it's like addicting because it's fun. And it's joyful. So I started writing down my goals, did the billion three in revenue with the mortgage company, lived on the ocean, got bored. I started a foundation called the Wisdom Foundation. My goal was to get all of these tools of emotional intelligence, which is what I understood at the time, into every school. The schools didn't want anything to do with it. They were so monolithic and lethargic, and their structures were basically. I did not know how to pierce that structure. So I ended up finding Costa Rica. And I've always been a nature lover, nature boy growing up. When I drove from Nicaragua to Costa Rica and I opened the door in southern Costa Rica of my car, the energy of the jungle, the vibration, the cicadas blew my mind. I, in fact, I got the chills just imagining being standing there. It was an ex- incredible vibration experience. So I started getting into developing land. And I started getting criticized by some of the local environmentalists saying that I was destroying. And I wasn't destroying. I was actually building greenhouses to create fruit tree nurseries immediately without even knowing anything about edible landscapes or permaculture or sustainability. It was just what I love to do. So I invited the critics into my office. My goal was to inspire them to actually advocate for the development that I was building. And they said, no way in hell, we will never support a developer no matter what. So I eventually got them out of my office. I wiped out the sweat and the tears and the blood. And and one word stuck out to me, and it was the word permaculture. So I'm like, okay, what is this permaculture stuff? So I started going into it. I started researching it. And at the same time, I had learned that 9-11 was an inside job. (laughs) And when I put those two things together, I went down the rabbit hole. And I've never really quit going down the rabbit hole, although I've changed my focus. So I learned that the system is completely controlled by the same families that have been running the show for 
hundreds, if not thousands of years, but definitely it's very clear hundreds of years. When Rothschild 400 years ago said, I'm going to put my kids on the five continents or whatever <laughs> all around the world and we're going to control the world's currency. Isn't that nuts? Yeah, it's true. It's crazy. Yeah. Then 200 years later, I think it was Mayor Rothschild in England said, I care not which puppet sits on the throne of England when I control its currency. And what is a currency? A currency is the energy of the people. It's the stored value of the people. So they created a scam in order to steal the stored value of the people, the energy of the slaves, right? Mm -hmm. And one of my other favorite quotes is uh, Goethe when he said, none are more hopelessly enslaved than those who falsely believe they are free. Mm. <laughs> like that one gives me the chills because when I first heard that, I said, bullshit, I'm not a slave. I can do whatever I want. And then I was like, well, wait a minute. Can I work and not pay property taxes or a percentage of my labor to the government? And then what is the government? Well, it just happens to be gubernamente, which means manager control of the mind, right? And my mind was blowing the whole time. I'm like, how could we have missed this obvious string of facts to think that we're not slaves? So I'm a solution-oriented optimist for the most part. And I went down that rabbit hole and I went down two years of kind of shitty two years because I was focused on the ugly. And then I started asking new questions like, what are the solutions? And, and I guess what inspired me and what the catalyst for the change in my focus was reading Bill Mollison's quote, though the problems of our world are increasingly complex, the solutions remain, this one gets me every time, the solutions remain embarrassingly simple. Yes. Boom. I <laughs> literally, I probably bawled on and off for two days because that was my ticket to the path forward. That was my ticket to freedom of my own mind, of my own spirit, having the faith and the courage to move forward. Because before that, I was kind of in this fear state, the state of, holy shit, what are we going to do? And I didn't know what we were going to do. I just knew that it sucked. So anyway, when I heard that, I started focusing on the question, how can I use every bit of my energy, my ability, my history, and how could I learn to be a big part of this solution, as big a part as I can possibly be? And that was it. And for the last 10 years, I've been asking the same question, infatuated with the answer. And the answer has taken me down this path to where we are now, which is the simplest freaking thing in the world. <laughs> Yes, so I'll, I'll stop for a second, let you jump in. <laughs> I love it. That's the kind of talk that motivates people around here, I think. And it's a really good summary of your journey. I heard in a previous interview, you framed our situation as a fight between the promoters of life versus the promoters of death. And the more I think about that, that's really deep. And it's a great way to sum it all up. Yeah, this is good and evil. And I don't claim to understand really what that means other than there's one group that is promoting the death of the spirit, of the soil, of our air, of our water, and of our life on earth. They're literally the poison producers and the manufacturers and the mandators of our society. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I know 2020 got really crazy for a lot of people. Masks, vaccines, store closings. And a lot of shows like mine are focused on that. And I'm sure there are listeners that are like, wow, permaculture, gardening, with all the problems we have, that's where we're going. And it's like, well, what more do you need to know about the problems? We've been digesting them for over a year. Exactly. So how we take back the power is we take their pillars of control. And what are their pillars of control? Well, when we are paying taxes on land that we're supposed to own. That's a slave tax. And using it with grass and lawn. Now, if you think about how fucking insane this is, a lawn, a monocrop that you have to mow once a week in the summer or all year long if you're in Florida, and it produces no food yield, 
Or let's just say you have a peach tree, a plum tree, and an apple tree, right? Those will each produce about 200 fruit per year. That's 600 healthy snacks per year that would be basically free once you got these fruit trees planted and that are hyper nutritious compared to the same exact food in the store. Not only that, but they're growing without poisons and the poisons are what cause our need for the medical system that creates this endless loop that they control and they control our health. They control the keys to heaven education and the awareness of what they control, how they control it, gets us the freedom to choose to control our own. Yes, well said. And the American lawn conspiracy is definitely something that people should think about. Like you say, 40 million acres of lawn, it's soaked with poisons to keep it that way with nothing else growing there, nothing of value. And it's interesting when you do that calculation of saying, if we could just turn a third of that back into food forests, I mean, with the abundance that it produces, you can do that calculation and know that that would be enough acreage to really, really solve a lot of our problems. And when you put it in those terms, it doesn't seem so lofty. Exactly. It's not only not lofty, it's the next logical step. I might have said this already, but I'm going to say it again. The Garden of Eden ideal that most people think is some kind of illusory fantasy is the next logical step. And here are some of the reasons why. One is it's easier to grow a peach tree, a plum tree, and an apple tree than it is to grow lawn that would normally be in that same area. You'll have to prune these trees maybe once a year if you want to for 15 minutes. And then instead of pruning, if you take and cut a little bit of circle around the bark and you put this little gadget on there with soil 10 weeks ahead of time, then when you cut that limb off, now you've got a new fruit tree that's worth 30 bucks and you just spent five minutes of effort to make 30 bucks. Mm. Is that a good return on time invested for most people? <laughs> Absolutely. Those are the things that are inspiring to me because so many of us are probably struggling in one way or another. If we're lucky enough to have some land, you really make it seem very feasible that we can get a return on that land instead of just a cost. I mean, especially in California, people watering lawns. I mean, it's 80 bucks, 100 bucks a month, I think, in some cases. It's like, Instead of just an outgoing cost, you can really flip the script on that and get better yields than some of us are making in our, our regular day job. Big time. In fact, that's one of the things we do. We help people start nurseries that are the ultimate stack of functions. So one function is you're going to have a bunch of food. You'll have way more than enough food for your family to eat on a relatively small food forest, like on a quarter acre food forest, your family, a normal sized family, a four person family could not eat all that food. And relatively speaking, the ROI in cash alone, like again, let's just boil it down to one peach tree. It might cost to install one peach tree, let's call it a hundred bucks, right? A hundred, 150 bucks. In the first four years, you're not going to get too many peaches. You might get a couple hundred peaches in the first four years total. But after that, you get a couple hundred peaches per year. Now, how much is an organic peach that's basically vine ripened? And by the way, Mother Nature knows best. When you pick something that's ripe, it's going to be more tasty and more nutrient dense than something that was picked two or three weeks before it was ripe. So how much does that cost? Well, you're talking about over 100% ROI annually once these food forests get up and running. Mm -hmm. Man. Yeah. And what other sector can you get that kind of ROI? <laughs> it's true. It's so true. And that's also money that doesn't go into the pocket of the very people that are making our society worse. And it's just a beautiful thing. And of course, on this show, we don't have the benefit of the visual aid that you had with the high wire, but help people understand what a food forest really is. The term is kind of obvious, but Paint a picture for us of how this is different than just a couple of raised beds and a couple of tomato plants, because 
seeing what you do, I mean, it's a real ecosystem in our yards. Yeah, it is. It's an ecosystem. It's a food forest is a community of plants that are designed to serve humanity, to serve the individual family primarily. So some people like certain types of fruits and veggies and roots and tubers and all the different medicinal benefits that go along with that. Other families might like a little bit of a different strategy, but we can design according to the needs of the individual, the family, and the community. And this is the grassroots movement. This is the idea whose time has come. It's not up to the government to do this for us. It's up to us as individuals. And how do we do that? Well, there are two ways to affect change. One is violence and force, which is what's going on around the world right now. And the other one is inspire. To inspire is to raise the vibration and to inspirit somebody. And that's our job. That's my job is to inspire people to take that first step and then to empower them in which direction to take the first step. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now a lot of us are probably stuck in situations where we don't have any land. We're renting apartments in the city. We might be lucky just to have a small patio. They're trying to push us into these smart city grids and, you know, we probably need to resist that. But if we're in a situation where we don't have any land, there are still a few things we can do, right? In terms of microgreens. <laughs> yes, microgreens are awesome. I actually turned my whole garage into a microgreens garage a couple of years back. That was part of my path to where I am now. And a little bit about microgreens. You can go to Home Depot. You can buy a rack. You can buy you know, one of those skinny racks about maybe... 12 or 14 inches by 20 inches deep, it might have four or five or six shelves on it. You can buy an LED light for 29 bucks for per top of each shelf. And then a tray of microgreens on the market is between 20 and 30 bucks. Your expense to grow that same tray of microgreens is going to be about a buck 50. And microgreens are four to 40 times more nutrient dense than their adult counterparts. And they harvest in 14 days with very minimal water, you know, a cup of water a day. And you've got like, I, I used to combine pea. My favorites were pea, broccoli, and kale and a little radish microgreen. And I would take about an eighth of a tray of pea microgreens, which grow really fast. They're like eight inches tall and very voluminous. And then I would cut those apart. I cut some broccoli and kale and radish and put those in a salad. It's the best salad. Very few people have ever eaten a salad that healthy. Yeah, I love it. And another thing I was thinking is even if we don't personally have our own homes, most likely our parents have homes with some extra space in the yard that they're not using. If you were to take the initiative to tend that space, I'm sure your parents would be grateful and and willing to share that abundance that you've created with you. So it doesn't have to be about your own personal space. Use your networks. Networks. I mean, there's grow towers, there's hydroponics. In fact, the cannabis industry, they have shown us the way. <laughs> they have shown us how we can grow a whole bunch of green right in our closets. Yeah. You know, of course, the whole tomato fertilizer thing is just code for cannabis fertilizer. But guess what? It works great for tomatoes, too. Yeah. Plants are plants, <laughs> funny enough. Plants are plants. <laughs> and, you know, for people who do have a home, a lot of the time they can't even make this transition if they're in a subdivision or have an HOA, this little cartel that controls what you can and can't do with your own land. How have you helped people to navigate those situations? I blow right through those rules. Like I've got five raised beds in my backyard and I'm waiting for the fight because I'm going to take it to them hardcore. And they might force me by handcuffs to take those down. And it might happen where they take them out and try to charge me for that. I am going to turn that problem into a solution on social media. And I'm going to go nuts. And I'm going to benefit eventually from that problem. In fact, that's not the norm, obviously. Most people don't want to go there. But most people can grow food in their backyard. It's the front yard for most HOAs where it's off limits. So 
If you want to follow the HOA rules, and I totally understand you're not willing, some people aren't willing to go to that extreme, then get a design. Because once the HOA sees that a food forest is not some raggedy, crazy thing, in fact, I'll describe it in this way. All HOAs, their yards have ornamental landscapes, shrubs and bushes and trees that don't produce any food, but they look nice. You can have the exact same looking landscape. The only difference is it'll be all food production. Hmm. Yeah, I love it. And that also makes me think about just our city structures in general. I mean, how many cities have shrubs and trees and ornamental landscapes that are constantly being maintained? We pay a park service typically to go around and maintain all this stuff so it's not on the roads and it doesn't yield anything. These same people are right there watering these landscapes. They could be picking that food too and taking it to the food pantry and improving a lot of lives. You nailed it. The American lawn takes more poisons and more resources than any other crop in the United States, and it doesn't provide food. How insane is that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and if we had some kind of program with our city hall, which is usually on a lot of land, that could be a community garden and people who are down on their luck could trade their hours in the garden for the yields that it produces and they're learning a valuable skill of self-sufficiency at the same time. Of course, the system doesn't want this, but these are the things we should push for. Man, Greg, your logic is just right on par <laughs> with mine. And you're right. There's a lot of communities that will resist this, but we have to push. Because the difference is life and death. And I don't say, I'm not a fear guy. You know what? I don't even believe in death anyway, quite frankly. <laughs> so it's not about, it's about let's create the Garden of Eden. Let's create this world where we can actually have the peaceful exchange of value. And that's also why we promote capitalism so much because they're, you know, socialism and communism are force and violence mm -hmm. and control. Capitalism, true, real capitalism, is the peaceful and voluntary exchange of value. It's a beautiful thing where everybody voluntarily exchanges and everybody's happier at the end of the exchange. Mm -hmm. Indeed. And let's sort of get into the magic of nature. For a long time, I thought this stuff was boring. But when you see the intelligence of trees and plants and how it all works together, it actually starts to be pretty fascinating, doesn't it? It's way more mind-boggling. Every day, I'm just amazed. Like Plants will release certain chemicals, pheromones, that have colors that we can't see. They're like an I'm in danger or an SOS signal. So the plant will be getting eaten on by some grub or armyworm or bug or beetle, and it'll release these chemicals. And then a wasp will be flying up above the area, and they'll see a slight hue of pink or purple or green. And they'll go, oh my gosh, there's some food down there. They'll fly down and they'll eat the grub that's eating the plants. So why do we have all of these poisons and killers to kill all of these bugs and the microbiome? It's all part of the same control grid. Those bugs, those organisms are what create the foundation of our soil, of our life. Wow. Yeah. And you can't take the pieces of the puzzle and separate them out. They all kind of have to go together. 100% they do. There's more organisms in a handful of soil than there are humans on the planet. <laughs> wow. And that's good soil, of course, the non-depleted stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You nailed it. And you mentioned this in a previous interview, but the UN said we only have two generations of soil left. So in terms of urgency, that's not a lot of time. Yeah, yeah. And of course, the UN is a criminal organization, so I don't like quoting them. The only reason I use that fact is because I like to speak to the gods of some of the people who believe in their gods. Like yeah. the UN is higher up than God for a big group of the world right now. So I said, okay, what are you going to do about this? And then they're like, oh, gosh, yeah, that's something to consider. So the reason also I use that quote is because permaculturalists and farmers are saying the same thing. 
They're yeah. saying our soil has been poisoned, mined, and depleted for so long in such unsustainable, ridiculously destructive processes that we have to make a change. Right. And for people who might be a little bit shocked or stressed out by hearing that kind of news, how difficult is it to reverse that damage? Now, I'm not talking like Monsanto's big monocrop acreage or Bill Gates buying up as much farmland as he can, but our own land, even if it's just a dirt pile, it's not that difficult to reverse that and make it rich, is it? It's not at all. The life is, life nature is so much more powerful than these idiots. Um, <laughs> it's not at all. It just takes the right combination of things. If you just let it go, if you just quit poisoning it, it would be totally healed in a matter of time. Some places, of course, would take more time than others because there's been so many poison applications for so long. But there's enough left, and I'm completely optimistic that we will see the Garden of Eden type of scenario everywhere. It will help a lot if we do exactly what I'm advocating, and that is to become producers as well as consumers. To start using your resources, your lawn, wisely. And this is something that needs to be said because a lot of people think, well, shoot, I've been spraying my lawn or the landscaping company has been spraying poisons on my lawn. So now I can't grow food. No, no, no. You absolutely can. Those poisons aren't as powerful as nature. So they have to be reapplied and reapplied and reapplied. Once we stop applying them, then nature will bounce back relatively quickly. Mm. Well said. and. So what would be some of our first steps to revitalizing a dead dirt patch that we might have somewhere on the property? If you want to speed it up, the number one thing you do is just stop poisoning it. And first and foremost, quit applying poisons. Secondly, you'd want to plant some plants that heal the soil. For instance, hemp it leaches out heavy metals and even nuclear radioactive soil. Nitrogen fixers help replace nitrogen that's been leached out of the soil. Daisies and dandelions, all of these pioneering plants. I mean, this whole idea of weeds is a marketing tool to sell us poisons. This whole idea of viruses is a marketing tool to sell us poisons. Our body is made of viruses. Like literally, there's more viruses in our body then there are strands of DNA. In fact, our DNA is made of viruses in some case, or in part, right? <laughs> yeah. So anything that we've learned, we have to first start breaking down and unlearning what we've been programmed to believe. So anyway, back to weeds. There are no weeds. Every plant and every pioneer has a purpose. And so it's important a little bit to either just let it do its own thing or to kind of understand and design according to the purpose that you want to see come to fruition. Mm -hmm. That's a good point about the weeds. I remember growing up, my parents would pull dandelions out of the lawn, but yet now I see bottled dandelions in like herb stores and stuff. So it's like the medicine was right there. Isn't that amazing? I'll never forget the time. I was like seven or eight years old and I was in the lawn and there were dandelions popping up and I, I went and grabbed one and I said how beautiful it was. And I can't remember if it was my mom or dad said, oh, they're bad. And my mom and dad are awesome people, like, but they believed that dandelions were bad and it was the best thing in the whole lawn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm always really interested to learn these just little anecdotes of plant intelligence. I'm sure you've got a laundry list of them, but can you give the people a few more examples of plant intelligence that blew your mind throughout learning all this? The main thing is mimicking natural systems. So for instance, a spider. A lot of people, if they see a spider web, they take it down. If we have a spider web near our front door, we love that. That's our mosquito catcher. That's a permaculture solution to a really freaking annoying problem. Possums. We have possum boxes at our community Goss Landing. Possums are nature's number one wood tick killer, killing tens of thousands and eating wood ticks per year. So people love to kill or to push these animals away from us. We need to invite them in to the system. 
a lot of people say, I'm scared of the bees or I'm scared of the snakes or the rats or a food forest is going to bring in rats. That's just the silliest thing I've ever heard. A food forest will bring in a balance of everything. In fact, in our backyard, we've got a compost pile here. And we started throwing compost maybe a year and a half ago. And we're living in kind of a rental suburban HOA type thing. We're not supposed to have the compost pile. But anyway, we started doing that. About three months later, we had a hawk that now made a home. And every day, the hawk takes a look at our compost pile. And one day, I saw the hawk carrying a big, I think it was a rat. I'd never actually seen a rat in there, but obviously they're there. And they're everywhere. But now we have a hawk. So when we took out some of the apex predators, the wolves and the bears and these different predators in our ecosystem, we create a massive unbalance. We have to then become the, the apex predator or like happened at Yellowstone, the elk and the bison were eating all of the vegetation. So when they released packs of wolves into Yellowstone, it literally changed the course of the rivers. Wow. Yeah, it's just, I think the same about our own bodies. Like, how can I trust a system like the CDC that wants to inject us when they don't even understand that consciousness is a thing? They don't look at the body holistically. Just like you can't introduce wolves without unintended consequences. It's a big, giant ecosystem. Our body's the same way. And it's like on a fundamental level, without that holistic approach, I would say do not meddle. <laughs> exactly. Oh my gosh. The story upon story. I lived in Maui for four years and they had a major rat problem. So they released mongooses. <laughs> hmm. Well, mongooses are diurnal and rats are nocturnal. So now you've got just mongooses all over the place, eating out of the trash cans and rats. Wow. <laughs> the idiocracy of people. Now, lately, Bill Gates has released bio-GMO'd mosquitoes into Florida. Yes. I mean, there's some wicked shit going on there. I don't know exactly what that is, but there's some sinister intent behind that. Yes, I agree. And uh, time might tell, unfortunately, but yeah. you know, we got to live our lives regardless and uh, focus on what we can do. And there you have you talked about some pretty bold things like getting our food forest under control could actually nationwide reverse cancer trends, reverse diabetes trends, and, and make a lot of inroads into the profits of big pharma because our stuff that we need for proper health is right in our own backyard. Exactly. We have to take control of our minds, our energy, our vibration, our bodies, our guts, and we can do that so easily. So people spend an average of, let's say, if you think you're a healthy person, how many minutes a day do you spend working out or doing yoga or any of those things? What do you, would you say a half an hour every, every other day would be normal? Yeah, for people who are uh, good about it, for sure. So if you spent that same half an hour doing meditation and yoga while gardening, you, you'd have all of the food you need. Mm -hmm. Isn't that amazing? That's the ultimate stack of functions. When you can take the same benefits and you can add another benefit, and now you've got all the food, which is also all the health, which is also saving money and saving the planet and gaining freedom. Wow. You make it seem like we had this miracle cure right there at our fingertips, and we just thought it was too simple, too boring to really get into, but it could help us economically, financially. It can help us our health. It's really just a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer, and that's the program. I don't tend to talk about this a lot, but it's just so much fun to think about this idea of the Garden of Eden. I'm not a religious person. I'm a very spiritual person, but there was a split there. And I think that is a metaphor for when the contrast came in and started creating these alternative death symptoms or death structures. Because without this, at the same time as this is definitely a path to death, if we continue on it, of the whole system, at the same time, without this contrast, would people be asking new questions? Mm. Yeah. And, you know, 
the Garden of Eden or this concept we have of a golden age? What does it look like yeah. in your mind? It doesn't look like New York City. No, <laughs> it doesn't. To me, it just feels like, and I've lived in these food forests and stuff in Costa Rica and here, it's the Garden of Eden. It's like you look around and you can walk 20 feet any direction and get a handful of food. Yeah, it's amazing. And can you elaborate on what those eco-villages in Costa Rica looked like? Because it's more than just a food forest, right? I mean, you're helping with the uh, water collection and the energy production, right? Yeah, so I'll talk about Galt's Landing. So John Galt from Atlas Shrugged, who is John Galt? He's the primary character in that book about freedom and self-reliance. So we're creating a community on 52 acres. It's got a private lake. We've got the only dock on the lake and 10 home sites. And the community is, we planted our first starter food forest. And it's right in the middle of kind of a woodsy area. It's at the end of a road. There's deer and bear and all these animals everywhere. And it's thriving. We haven't touched it in 12 months. We have done nothing, no maintenance. And it's thriving. And there's lemons and cherries and blueberries. And I mean, 55 different plants in this little area. So it's all about scale. From that one area, we can seed the next area and the next area and the next area. Now, that'll take time. So we're just going to buy a bunch more fruit trees and stick them in and save that extra 20 or 30 years. But being in a food forest, the butterflies, the birds, the life, it's a vibration experience when you stop your mind and just take a few breaths and, and you feel this balance, this connection to what we're supposed to be connected to. The disconnect, the program that we have experienced since then is the disconnect. But now we're in the apocalypse, which means lifting the veil, the age of enlightenment, the age of Aquarius. Like it's written in the freaking stars. It's written in all the religious texts that there will be a time when we have to make some choices. And the mm -hmm. choice is whether we continue down the programming road or we have faith and courage. And those are clues. Faith has always been a clue. Have faith, have faith. Okay, what is the hell does that mean? Well, it means quit having fear. Like start focusing forward on what you can do. Take action little by little, the right direction with faith. And that's how we heal ourselves and our world. Yeah, you got to trust that the good will win out. And if you have that trust, you focus less on the immediate panic and fear. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yes. And Galt's Landing. I have seen the concept art for this. It just looks like a permaculture paradise neighborhood. And it's in Central Florida, right? Yes. Central Florida. It's about 35 minutes from Orlando International. Yeah, I can't wait to live there. I'm going to use my home there, which will be completely off-grid. Every home site's designed with a complete food forest, its own well, and its own energy center. And I can't wait to be there and use that as my stage to show the world that off-grid doesn't mean some cabin in the woods. It doesn't mean gardening all day long. It's just completely the next logical step. Yeah, yeah. It really reminds me of a previous attempt from Jacques Fresco to try to show what he was doing with the Venus Project. It's a little more on the tech side, but... He was trying to set up something in Florida before he died that would be an example. People could come and tour to see the efficiency and living within nature rather than dominating it and clearing it out. And it's awesome that you're doing that because once people see the template, it could spread. It could spread like crazy. Yeah, it will absolutely spread because there's no reason not to do it other than programmed BS, belief systems, bad science, and bullshit. The benefits of this type of life stack. On every level, it's a better life. Mm -hmm. And maybe we said a few things about it, but what can you say about the maintenance time that it takes? Not only is that time good for us, like we mentioned, but people have this impression that it's another full-time job. but the way you design these things, they kind of take care of themselves outside of a once or twice a year 
pruning session on the trees. Is that right? Yeah. So I'll give you an example. The archaeologists who have studied the Amazon rainforest have been, uh, you know, studying this for decades. And what they have recently come to learn is that the Amazon rainforest was a designed food forest 5,000 years ago. Yes. And how much maintenance does it take? None. So the pruning will help create a better yield of fruit because when you take that energy and you put it into fruit production instead of new branches, then you get a better yield. You also get new fruit trees if you do it right, like grafting, air layering and stuff. So I want to talk too about the difference between perennials and annuals. Mm -hmm. Perennials are plants that you plant and they're going to live for two or more years. Most of them last for generations. In fact, there's an olive tree on the Greek Isle of Crete that was planted over 2,000 years ago and is still producing olives today. Damn. No maintenance. In fact, they've got a fence around it. Leave it alone. <laughs> so if you want to have where you like gardening, then you're going to want to have some annuals, right? Because annuals, cucumbers and tomatoes and squash and peppers and all these, you're going to want to be out there maybe a couple times a week playing with the plants and stuff. And you can turn that into a meditative session. In fact, they found that gardening is as healthy for your body as yoga and meditation. So yeah, yeah. you can stack that function. Perennials are the food forests that we love to design, although we do also design annuals into the systems. But the primary focus is on perennial food forests that you could leave for 30 years and come back and you've just got a food forest. Right, right. And I've heard you say that if someone is kind of in a desperate situation or really wants to hit the ground running, perennials are for quick food production and annuals are for long-term food production. Is that right? So annuals are plants that will harvest in 45 to 90 days. Perennials are fruit trees and berry bushes. Oh, gotcha. So like the reverse of what I just said. Yeah. <laughs> All of the systems we design, we advocate for using them. So a little bit about the design itself. We start by building the base, which is oftentimes, but not always, it's often sheet mulching, which you have a base of cardboard. And then on top of the cardboard, you put some soil. On top of the soil, you put a layer of mulch, which could be wood chips or just any plants mulched up because that simulates a natural system. You don't see exposed dirt. If you go into the jungle or into any forest, you see leaves and sticks and you see things on the ground. So for the first couple of years, your food forest canopy will be, it'll be an immature food forest. So sun will be hitting the ground. That's when you wanna plant the annuals in there. So you can maximize your yield starting 60 to 90 days, you're already going to be getting yield from your food forest. And then within three to four years, the canopy of the fruit trees is going to take up all the sun. And in that case, you're going to want to move the annuals to a different location. Hmm. Okay. So I've also heard you say, since we're on this topic, that the first mistake a lot of Americans make is not having good soil amendment and not enough attention paid to good mulch. What are the components of good soil amendment? Well, it depends on so many different factors like location. You know, where I was at in Costa Rica, the ants, there was a fungal web that was how decomposition primarily worked. Here in Florida, it's more of a bacterial system. So worms are going to be most places, worm castings are nature's by far best fertilizer. And biochar, if you can do inoculated biochar, which is basically just biochar that has worm castings mixed into it, now you've got the best of both worlds. So that would be a good starter. A good black soil, rich black soil, if you find worms in it, you've got a winner. Hmm. <laughs> nice clue to look for. And Another thing in terms of people trying to figure out what they can grow and wanting to do this really efficiently because there are so many things, but you say a lot of them work symbiotically, we have so many choices, it can be difficult. We might have analysis paralysis. Are there 
certain categories that we could stick to just to help make it easier to choose correctly with so many options? Well, yes. I mean, the main category for me, like I just referred to, is no poisons. But that does bring up a thought here now that we're getting towards the two-hour mark. I want to share, if you're okay with it, the opportunity that is before all of us to be part of this change. So the problem is the food supply chain. I don't know if you've heard of the Ice Age Farmer. Love that guy. Oh, yeah. He's been here before. Previous guest. Oh, yeah. Oh, awesome. I would, uh, I'd love to talk to him. I've been so busy. I haven't talked to him personally yet, but I would sure love to because he has exposed very clearly what's going on with the intentional destruction of the food supply chain. So if the problem is the lack of the food supply chain, then the solution is the opposite of that. The solution is to build our own food supply chain. And landscaping has always been a profitable endeavor, but when we're actually stacking functions and turning landscaping into food forest landscaping, instead of just ornamental landscaping, now we've got a standard business model that is beneficial on every level. It's profitable. It helps save the customer. It turns a liability of their yard into an asset, and it helps save the cancer and diabetes and heart disease. I mean, if you just look that one factor, the odds of having heart disease, diabetes, and cancer when you have a food forest in your backyard and you eat a healthy meal once a day are going to go down radically. So if that were the only reason, would that not be a good enough reason for most people when 70, 80% of people die of those three things? Boom. Absolutely. So become a producer. And what we like to promote is if you want to be in the business of helping people grow food, then get a hold of us because that's what we do. We're in that business. We've created the foundation. We have a permaculture design team who helps design food for us. And we have installation manager. We have all the components to make it easy for somebody to plug into this business. And this scalable business is how we create our freedom from tyranny on all of those levels. Yes. And I was going to bring that up as we're wrapping this up. I always like the last section to be really more about the practical aspects of the guest's work and how they can be supported and uh, how we can take it forward. And yes, it seems like maybe listeners who are so jazzed up that they're thinking, you know what? Screw my corporate job where I'm doing harm. I want to transition to something else. Like, it kind of seems like you're hiring designers across the country or hiring people to implement some of the blueprints that you're giving people nationwide. Like there does seem to be opportunities for people to transition their their jobs even within what you're doing. Is that what you're saying? Not just opportunities, the opportunity of a lifetime. If you, <laughs> if you for real, if you want to have your own business, and you are inspired by what we're talking about today, then definitely get a hold of us. Because, like, I'll give you an example. Uh, Mario and Lisa up in the Carolinas, they've been at this now about 35, 45 days or so, and they're getting job after job after job because our network is expanding so fast that we're looking for people to help supply the on-the-ground installation part of the business. So we've created the foundation of that, the structure, which includes the shirts and the brands and the content. We've got an amazing social media marketing campaign and a leader goes there here, and she's helping with that piece of the puzzle. We've got support team managers and leaders. So in essence, somebody's getting a full team of partners, and we do a split. In fact, it's a lot like a franchise, except for I hate the bullshit. <laughs> I actually spent a quarter million dollars getting prepared for a launch of this type of business, although I refined it, made it simpler and simpler and simpler. And our job is to support the people that are on the ground helping people grow food in every way. And it's going, well, as a result of just the last 35, 40 days, we're going to be in 40 states and 10 countries by summer, by June, July. Mm. It's going viral. And then every one of those people, once their neighbors see what they're doing, they're going to tell their friends and they're going to tell their friends. And 
the people, the awake people, thanks to Dell and his group and his team and his network and everything else we're doing, yourself, Greg, I'm very honored to be here and I appreciate the work you're doing. Yes, yes. And I heard you say you got a very big response from Dell's show. And I would say challenge accepted because we have a pretty large and responsive audience as well. And I would like to see uh, you feel that impact. And just before we go, I, I had a couple more questions about Galt's Landing. I mean, I am just curious when this is going to be done, when people are going to start purchasing these properties and moving in. I mean, how close is this to implementation versus design phase? So the first house will be done in about two months. And the first dock is in, the first mini food forest is in, the first wells in. So we are going to have a demonstration site literally by, by the end of summer at the latest. We'll be on site and proving the model. Wow. And I understand there's only really 10 housing units in the neighborhood. Nine Maybe there will be more. Eight lots left. Sorry. Eight lots left. Jeez. And the house is already built or the, the people build their own houses and the food forest just goes around it? My partner, Brian, is the developer. I'm the owner of Lot 9, and I kind of put in the food forest sustainability piece. The food forest will go around the house, but it's everybody's going to have ownership of their own one-plus-acre homestead, and then the common areas are all going to be food forests as well. But anybody can do it basically what they want with their own piece of the puzzle. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> I never saw myself moving from San Diego to Central Florida, but I am tempted. That just sounds so great. And okay, so if people are jazzed up, they could also, what, get a blueprint from you, take the course. What other offerings should they know about before we call it in? Yeah. So we love helping people design food forests and install, but we do the design in such a way where if they want to DIY it, we will help them through that process. They'll be able to save the margin that we make as a corporation, and we love it. In fact, we will even encourage those people to join our network and become demonstrators in their areas to inspire more people because you don't want to be the only person in the years to come that has food. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> that is true. Man, well, Jim, this has just been amazing. I think your passion is pretty contagious, and if we want these systems that don't serve us to go away or see them decline, we have to build the better systems that will take us forward. And I appreciate that you're paving the way. Thanks for taking the time. Keep fighting the good fight. Greg, man, it's been a pleasure. First two hour podcast. And I'm just, uh, I love it, man. I appreciate everything you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. I know it's a marathon session, so I'll let you get on with your day, but cheers, man. Have a good one. Cheers. You too, buddy. Ciao. All hail the great Jim Gale, swinging back into the solution side of things with a guest who's not shy about peppering in a little shade thrown at the capstone cabal. And that's a recipe for a great THC, I would say. And this was another episode where once we got off the air, I asked about a coupon code or any sort of deal he might want to give to the listeners. And we do have a little something. Jim said that for anyone who does order a food forest installation on their property, he will give them a free fruit tree if they mention this interview. So that's pretty cool. If you are fortunate enough to have a little space, I think this would be an awesome use of it. Obviously, extra space is hard to come by in California, but I have friends who own houses back home in Missouri, in Colorado, in Texas. And I think they all have a little corner of the yard that could be turned into a food factory. As I mentioned earlier, same with parents' houses. I've got friends who recently went back home to see their aging parents and spent most of the time cutting the grass, cleaning up old wood piles and stuff like that. So there are more opportunities than one might think. Plus, I love how Jim puts things in economic terms, even the indoor microgreens. This is how much it costs, this is how much it can yield, and this is how much you can sell them for. And it just all works to really break the scarcity spell. So there is a lot that can be done, and rarely does a THC show up that has such a wide range of follow-up possibilities. You could just get a design from Jim, which is great in and of itself, 
Maybe you have some space and you just want to make sure it's optimized for this kind of thing. Well, you can purchase a design plan with their expertise and then do the work yourself. Or you can take the easy road and have them do the full install and get yourself a free fruit tree to boot. Or you could write Jim and see if you can actually get involved in being what sounds a lot like a franchisee or a satellite employee that helps their company spread around the country. Or if you're really going to go all in on this, you could buy a house in the permaculture paradise he's setting up in Florida. What a serious range of options and opportunities, but tell him you come by way of THC anyway, and maybe he'll throw you an extra bone or something, but I'm inspired by what Jim is doing and really wanted to help him spread the word. I was a bit nervous about truly filling up the two-hour show with such a specific niche topic, but we did it. And it's important enough that I just wanted to do it anyway. It's just such a good point that every square foot of lawn or wasted space that we can inspire people to turn into a food forest or edible landscape has such a range of stacked benefits. Better homesteading skills for people who engage with it, better use of space, an erosion of our system dependence, an erosion of corporate GMO crop producers' market share, better health through healthier diet, and in turn, erosion of big pharma's profits. This sounds like a big part of how we win. Complex problems with really simple solutions, as Jim pointed out. But I know Jim would love to hear from you guys, and helping to widen this network is a beautiful thing. I know our sound quality wasn't the best, again, and I think I just need to be a bit more proactive in communicating beforehand what I need to make sure that we have the best sound quality. Historically, I've just assumed and left it up to chance, but lately that is not working all that well. I think this last year has really conditioned people to think in terms of Zoom, to just open up the laptop, no headphones needed, and go for it. But that is not the best protocol in my case, and I'm going to communicate what I need a bit better going forward. So don't think I haven't noticed, but a huge thanks to our editor, Justin, who took two passes on this one to make it as good as he could. I've already talked to Randall Carlson about an optimum setup for the one we're recording tomorrow, so we should be good there. And that's what I'm going to go get ready for now. So I hope you enjoyed what you heard and all the offerings on the THC table for June. Food forests, automatic writing with Michael Sandler, orgasmic birth and vaccine concerns with Dr. Northrup, angelic sailors with Pierre Sabac, and subpersonalities and entity attachment with Dr. Tom Zinzer. As wild and diverse as ever, if you liked those shows and only heard the first hour, you're missing a lot. You already seem to like the show, why not hop into THC Plus for $8 a month and just try me out? It keeps me charged up and keeps the passion going, plus you get more show. In today's second hour, we talked about the seven layers of a food forest, food fences, 12 growable antiviral herbs, backwards American culture, more examples of the magic and intelligence of plants and trees, available space and yield calculations, duck deficiencies, the miraculous moringa tree, probably my favorite part, and fun little stuff like improving your sex life with plants. <laughs> Praying on insecurities, getting people to sign up in the way that works best. But really, we tip waiters eight bucks for bringing us a sandwich and a beer. Maybe you wouldn't mind tipping me for this service and getting twice as much of it at the same time. TheHiresideChats.com or click the top link in the show notes. July also looks really action-packed and diverse, so come on in, the water's fine. But thanks for listening. Food forest abundance for all. I've done my part. Your move, death promoters, self-sufficiency eroders, and agents of the suburban lawn mine virus. Your fucking Sometimes when I get down, I eat a bunch of corporate junk. Processed stuff that makes you fat. Yeah, it's a weak and sickly people making industry. Don't tell me, don't tell me lies. Discipline is no fun, I find. Denial makes it all gone. 
digital technology And every now and then I try to quit and leave it be But it's too hard to turn it off It's getting worse and 